BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I received the text from my wife while sat next to her. Part 1 Written by Phoenix Flies She isn't me Those three simple words on my screen Arranged just so Gave me the most profound sense of dread I had experienced to date Nine letters And one overwhelmingly sinking feeling in my gut I turned to Sophie, as casually as I could muster. Where's your phone, hun? She swallowed, still looking at the TV. I left it at Harriet's earlier. I was going to tell you tomorrow. Don't worry, can't do anything about it now. Normally, she'd be glancing up and down between both screens never understood how she could manage to split her focus between them. Yet, here she was, eyes fixed on the movie in a way I'd never seen before, hardly even looking away to twirl noodles around her fork. Fair enough, I murmured, trying to mask my unease. There was definitely something wrong with Sophie. Something felt off thinking back she hadn't looked me in the eye since I came home with dinner she had simply served up the chow mein and sat in front of the TV to wait for me maybe she was frustrated at having left her phone with her friend earlier she's usually attached to that thing like an IV drip maybe she was feeling the withdrawal from her social media feed but was too embarrassed to admit it. Maybe she too was hiding how she felt behind a mask of nonchalance. Maybe. I opened up the message again, checked the sender again to be sure. 
It said, Sophie Mobile. Okay, it's just a prank, I told myself, half convinced. Just a cruel prank. They both know I have an anxiety disorder, and they're messing with me. Very funny, I wrote out. Give Soph her phone back tomorrow, okay? I lowered my phone, and tilted my head to Sophie and offered a goofy smile, like we often do with each other in quieter, awkward moments. But she didn't turn away from the TV. I could make out the half-reflection of one eye in the side of her glasses. Aside from occasionally chewing a mouthful, she seemed vacant. My phone vibrated and my heart almost leaped out into my plate of noodles. Never before had I hidden anything from my wife, let alone while sharing a sofa with her. This was new and difficult territory for me. I hoped she wouldn't notice me checking the text or, at the very least, wouldn't comment if she saw. Excuses were not my strong suit. With my mouth dry, I tilted my phone towards me, lit the screen, and that sinking feeling came back for round two. The girl you're with isn't me. Swallowing my fear like a pill without water, I slowly thumbed out a reply. Okay, Harriet, it's late. Drop it. Face firmly in the mask, I tried to strike up a conversation. How was Harriet earlier? Fine. Fork raised, noodles in, chew. I nodded like it was no big issue and tried to turn my attention to the movie. Something Soph had chosen about a bunch of teenagers stranded at sea. They'd forgotten to lower the ladder before all jumping off their boat for a swim. The realization had just struck them and fear was starting to take hold. I bet they're kicking themselves about that ladder, I offered. Yeah. Another mouthful of noodles. She was definitely avoiding conversation. My pocket gave another subtle buzz, and I carefully looked and wish I hadn't. Harriet is dead. She killed her. Get out! A chill ran down my spine, strong enough to physically lift me to my feet. Sophie definitely noticed, tilting her head ever so slightly in my direction. Where are you going? I feebly threw back a kitchen get a drink the best i could scramble together the room beginning to spin as i left i threw my plate onto the countertop with a crash and leaned over the kitchen sink breathing heavy convinced i was going to be sick i ran the water cold and splashed the sweat from my face everything felt wrong your drink I turned to find Sophie standing in the doorway, facing me for the first time that evening. But I was struggling to focus. Behind her, the kids in the water were panicking 
someone had been hurt and blood was spreading around the hapless group. Your drink? Sophie repeated, firmer this time. Her format came back into clear focus as she set down a glass of water, my own glass of water, untouched. The glass of water that I had left in the other room before departing to get a drink. Somehow, my stomach found somewhere lower to sink. As I stumbled for a response, my phone buzzed again. My hand instinctively reached for it. To my dismay, Sophie noticed. Who keeps texting you tonight? She demanded, her stance rigid, her gaze burning right through me. But words wouldn't come out. Emotion caught my eye. The plate of half-eaten chow mein I had set down was shifting pulsating and among the noodles were dark worms subtly squirming and undulating and the nausea returned in a crashing wave as I pictured them inside me alive and writhing around not knowing how many I had consumed clutching my gut as if to keep it from churning I pointed at the plate. What did you put in the food? She didn't respond, but stepped closer to the kitchen counter and set the glass down. The water would then shimmer unnaturally in the starker light of the kitchen, as if laced with glitter. Her eyes shone through her glasses as she leaned over the counter. Have you had much to drink today? I think you're dehydrated. I ran. I swept the plate and the glass off the counter in her direction. And I ran without looking back. My knees were weak with whatever she had slipped into my food. But I made it into the garage, snatching up my car keys on the way. I scrambled into the front seat, slamming the door behind me and hitting the locks just as Sophie, or not Sophie, tried the handle. I backed up against the passenger door, gasping for every breath. My chest was taut, everything was spinning, and I knew I was losing consciousness. I had dropped the key somewhere. As much as I tried to reach for them, I found only bruises, flailing my limp arm helplessly between the door and the gearbox. I felt something trickle from the corner of my mouth. She stooped to glare at me through the driver's side window. Her glasses reflected the garage lights overhead, setting her eyes ablaze. For a moment, thought of those stranded kids in the movie, how they must be huddling together in the blood right about now, the sharks circling, waiting to strike. I thought of those sharks, and the darkness came. I awoke, my head a fog, 
find the car locks and the windows intact. A note sat on the windscreen, facing inwards, written with an unfamiliar hand. Darling, I'm worried about you. I locked the garage up and I've gone to Harriet's. I'll be back soon. Stay there. X. I checked my phone and there were three text messages. At 1.40, tell me you're okay. 3.12, she's here. 6.34, sorry about Harriet. Everything's okay. I'll be back. Stay there. X. I revved the car into life and floored it. Pressing against the garage door, the wheel spinning on the concrete floor. But the door didn't budge. I backed up as much as the garage would allow and slammed my foot into the accelerator. Metal met metal with a sickening screech. But the door hardly gave it all. Again, I reversed and surged forwards three times, four, five, and I could see a crack of light as the door weakened. Six, seven, daylight was flooding in. It would only take a few more. Eight, nine, and number ten, the front end of my car made it through the garage door entirely. Jagged metal scraping against a windscreen. Maybe one more, and I'd burst through those teeth and out of the shark's maw. As I backed up again, I caught sight of legs through the door. She had returned. Not Sophie, was just outside, watching. She stood in front of the garage door, steadfast and still, blocking my path. Her position said one thing, loud and clear. You'll have to go through me. I almost hesitated. I tried to call Harriet, and there was no answer. I thought about calling the police but talk to myself out of it. They wouldn't look too kindly on a fugitive rolling up in the murder weapon. The car somehow managed 30 miles until the crushed bodywork and hampered engine let it down. I imagine there were a few pieces of not Sophie caught up in the mess of metal. She was dragged along further than I had expected abandoning the mess of a vehicle by the roadside I set off into the woods the forest was deep and I took a meandering route through on the other side I eventually came across a car rental company took their most affordable option and headed off in a different direction days have passed I haven't been tracked down 
I've been listening attentively to the news. There hasn't been any mention of the horrific hit-and-run incident. I can only assume that means a victim hadn't been found. My dreams, I see the red smear in the road I left behind. I see the misshapen husk of not Sophie. I see a swirl of those black worms she tried to feed me. I see her broken carcass haul itself upright, bent, and disjointed. And I see the worms fall from her open wounds. I can't keep going like this. Living out of an overdue rental car. Waking to the screams that echo around the truck stops. I hardly recognize myself in the mirror. My eyes are sunken. My skin pale. My hair is coming out in clumps. And I look hollow. I've never suffered from nosebleeds before. But it feels like I've always got a tissue in my hand. Fighting a constant stream. Whatever damage those black worms had begun to cause. I doubt they're finished with me. I don't know what happened to my Sophie. I don't know what that thing was in her place. I need answers. Or else, I need this to be over. I need to go back. Wish me luck. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. I received the text from my wife while sat next to her. Part 2 Written by Phoenix Flies It's not just Sophie. This is bigger than I thought. And the worms are really making me suffer. I've made some startling discoveries since my last post. And in spite of my best efforts... I can't rationalize what's happening. I'm going to assume that you all are up to speed with the story so far and continue where I left off. I can't thank you enough for all your advice since my last post. Well, I really appreciate the gesture. But I don't think things panned out quite the way I'd hoped. 
I was recommended a deworming medication called Ivermectin and managed to track down some of the paste by visiting a farm supply shop. I took a gamble and bought an excessive supply of the stuff. Thankfully, the guy behind the counter was stoned out of his skull. Neither didn't notice that I looked like a walking corpse or didn't care. Either way, the only question he asked was, what for? And he seemed satisfied with my mumbled response of, animals? I think I'm getting better at this deception thing. Having measured and taken three times the recommended dose, I convulsed and threw up so hard that I thought I made an organ. Those black worms fed to me by the imitation of my wife were still inside and were making their malice known. I fought to keep down another two doses, wanting to send them a message of my own. It had been four days since I left and I finally had a plan. I may have felt half dead, but what remained was functioning on pure determination. The sky was cloudless, the day so bright that it felt like an insult. At least a window glare might work in my favor, I thought, parked across the road from Harriet's house. This was the last place I knew Sophie had visited. My Sophie, the real Sophie. She had not returned, but something had come home, masquerading as her. There was a chance, however slim, that I might find her here alive. Failing that, I might at least find out what happened to her. A marked police car rolled up in front of me, just on time. I had called ahead, claiming that there had been an altercation between Sophie and Harriet, bookending my story with half-truths to make it easier to weave. I told them Sophie had gone over to confront Harriet about a missing phone. I told them a friend had heard a commotion while walking past that night, shouting, things being thrown. And I told them Harriet was unpredictable with a dangerous reputation. And then I finished with the absolute truth. I told them Sophie hadn't come home for days and that I was gravely worried. They almost caught me out when they asked me why I hadn't reported her missing already. I choked on my own words, launching into a fit of hacking coughs. Somehow that worked to my advantage. You don't sound too healthy yourself, they said, handing me an excuse which I clung to like driftwood after a shipwreck. Somehow, everything was going better than expected. Two uniformed police officers approached Harriet's door. One knocked, while the other took a step away and glanced around the street. Instinctively, I shrunk down in the car seat as they looked in my direction, 
then chided myself as I realized how suspicious the move would seem if I were spotted. I awkwardly scooted back upright, and the last scraps of my confidence dissolved when I noticed a police officer staring right at me. The window glare had not worked in my favor as I hoped. They had witnessed the whole of my pathetic pogo dance routine and leaned in to whisper something to their partner. Both were facing me now, and one took out a notepad. I wanted to shrink back down into the footwell, but told myself, look normal, be normal, and held my ground for a second until my nose erupted for another enormous bleed. I swore loudly, grabbing a thick wad of tissues and holding my face down into it, waiting for the drainage flow to stop. By the time it cleared, I raised my head, and the officers had disappeared into the house. I blinked, relief giving way to despair, before I could even take hold. My plan had hinged on witnessing either Sophie or Harriet answering the door. And now, I was cast into unknown territory. I waited, weighing my options against one another. But the more I turned them over, the more my plan came apart. As if held together by the cheapest glue logic could buy. Looking back, it's clear that I slipped into the worst anxiety spiral I had experienced for years. But at the time, it was nothing so simple. What would I have actually done if Sophie had answered? Ran to her? I'd have no way of knowing if it was her or the imitation. And I could be running into a death trap. Or worse. And if it had been Harriet who answered, what the hell was I planning on saying? Sophie told me you were dead. Also, have you seen her lately? And are you sure it's actually her? At some point, I felt like the conversation had been clear in my head. Scripted word for word through a dozen different outcomes. But everything suddenly felt so blurry and uncertain. And sweat flooded my face. The road in front of me seemed to stretch on forever, shrinking to nothing. What was I hoping to gain from being here? The steering wheel pulsed, swelling along with the rest of the car interior. I felt like I was being crushed, running out of space and air. Why was I here? I fought for breaths that wouldn't come. I fumbled and failed to open the window and painted the inside of my car door with vomit and passed out. I blinked back into consciousness to the dull thump of a car door closing. The police were leaving and I could make out the silhouette of another figure in the back seat. 
silhouette with shoulder-length hair. This wasn't Harriet, who wore her perpetual pixie cut with pride. My heart leaped as that thought took over my bleary mind. That could be Sophie. She could be safe. But on the other hand, it could be not Sophie, the imitation. She could have been staying at Harriet's house to ambush me, knowing I would return to track down my real wife, waiting just inside like an eager spider. And if that were the case, then the danger had gone, whisked away in the back of a police car. Either Sophie was safe, or the danger had gone. I had to go inside. The oppressive brightness of the day had finally given way to the evening gloom. A handful of keen streetlights had judged it dark enough to activate. Most were holding higher standards, waiting for the proper nightfall. But they would not be waiting for long, as the darkness was already drawing in. Breeze struck me as I left the car, cutting deeper through my saturated shirt. I caught a glimpse of myself in the wing mirror, a corpse clad in a pollock canvas of puke and blood. Would Sophie even recognize me like this? No matter. All I could think about was finding her, or finding evidence of what had happened to her. And while there was a chance she was still alive, I had to try. I had to go inside. I had to. The house sat detached from its neighbors. Identical buildings with identical lawns and driveways. Aside from their numbers, and the odd flourish of colored curtains laid by particularly daring residents, there was nothing to tell them apart. As was the way with many of these new-build estates. It was, of course, the interior that mattered, where the mask gave way to truth. The street was graveyard quiet, as I flanked Harriet's house. The side gate led to the back garden, barely waist height and unlocked. Dark blinds obscured all the windows, and not a glimmer of light shining through. The place was empty, as far as I could tell. None of the windows were open. I pondered the best way to approach entry and on a whim, tried the back door with the weight of my shoulder. It clicked open and I stumbled inside, my knee landing hard on the tiled kitchen floor with a resounding thump. A hiss of pain escaped and I reflexively clamped my palm over my mouth. The house was dead quiet in response pain was shooting through my leg as I hauled myself up to feebly lean against the countertop. I pulled out my phone, turned on the torchlight, and cast it around the room, the beam shaking as I fought to keep my hands steady. 
It was just a kitchen. Oven, microwave, fridge covered with tacky magnets, kettle, toaster, dirty dishes, a vase of flowers, a few days past their prime. Regular old kitchen, nothing unexpected. Eerie in the stark spotlight, but just a kitchen. I took a deep breath and continued into the house. The stairway banister cast prison bar shadows up the wall as I passed. I swept the torchlight across the living room and bathroom without gleaning much information. And then I saw the door. Set into the staircase, this door either led to a cupboard or a basement. I swallowed with all the ease of ingesting a golf ball. If this house held secrets, my gut told me that they would be found here. I opened the door, and there were stairs, and they went down. My light spilled into the narrow space, barely lighting the bottom of this passage, but enough to show me Sophie. She was standing there in the darkness, in the same green dress she'd worn when I last saw her. Her hair was its usual wavy mess, and her back was toward me. But when she noticed the light, she turned. It was a sluggish movement, as if she was dazed. Her gaze met the lower stairs and followed them upwards. And her eyes widened as she saw me. She raised an arm and pointed directly at me, took a deep, deliberate breath, and then she screamed. She screamed at me, her finger extended, a screeching fry of a scream. Someone being burnt alive, put through a faulty auto-tune. It wavered, crackled, and in the poor light, her facial features seemed to distort with her voice. She screamed that horrific scream, and as she screamed, she fell apart into bugs. She collapsed into them, as if her entire form dissolved into particles from head to toe, and only those particles had legs and wings. Some fell to the floor, crawling and writhing. Others took to the air, and in a matter of seconds, she became a swarm, and then that swarm started up the stairs toward me, I was already running, my skin crawling and jolts running down my spine. What I had witnessed defied explanation, but I wasn't about to hang around and ask questions. Moth wings brushed the back of my neck, and I knew the spiders wouldn't be far behind. I sped around the front of the house, heading for my rental car, but stopped dead. The pitch of night 
was pierced by glares from across the street. Open doorways, spilling light, each silhouetting a single finger. Four of them, five, no, six. The neighborhood had steered, and they were watching from their doors, standing as still and uniform as their houses. I blinked, somehow taken aback, more by this than the bugs. There were three more figures that were standing by the car between me and my escape. Tiny legs brushed up my shins, the first of the swarm flowing over the top of my socks. I yelped, kicking out as I took off in a flailing sprint down the street, swatting at moths as they died in front of my face. And through the haze of the wings, I saw the neighbors in their doorways, each lit from behind, like in some 50s alien abduction movie. And each of them raised an arm, each pointed at me. And each one echoed the same screech of a scream as I passed them. Door after door was the same. Ten houses. 14, 20, a lost count. Pointed fingers and piercing screams ringing in my head. On and on, silhouettes and screams, as if the whole world had conspired toward my exile. Tears streaked my face as I ran. Longer and harder than I felt I ever had cloud of bugs seemed to thin and the road led to a forest path which I took without a second thought the promise of darkness was far more alluring than the lights I was leaving behind I knew I had been seen entering the forest so I deliberately took a difficult and unpredictable path I emerged, seemingly a lifetime later, on a quieter street. I was battered and bruised, I was scratched and torn, but I was still breathing. And I didn't stop running until I had put three more roads between myself and the madness. Reason finally took over from panic. As I leaned against the lamppost to catch my breath in the night's frigid embrace. I couldn't rely on picking up a trail from Harriet's house. Whatever this was, it had spread through the whole neighborhood. It could replicate people and the entities they became were capable of working together coordinating wordlessly. I didn't know whether the Sophie I saw whisked away by the police was the original or another copy, or if it was not Sophie. I didn't know if the police officers were still human or not, and if they were, I didn't know how long that would remain the case. I needed time. I needed to be away from here 
and most importantly, I needed medical attention. I made the most important phone call of my life and requested to be sectioned in a mental hospital. I told them I had an anxiety disorder and had been away from my medication for days. And I explained everything I had seen tonight. I explained that, of course, I know none of this could have been real. And yet, I still saw it all. I said that I needed help. And more than anything, that I needed to be isolated. My greatest act of deception was to claim that I knew I was mad. And I have been treated well since I arrived. I have my own room, and since I am here on a voluntary basis, I still have my phone and access to the internet. There are communal areas, which I don't use, and I can leave whenever I want, but I don't want to. I requested a deworming medication and was given some sickly banana flavored syrup. They won't allow me the dosage that I want. But this is better than nothing. I haven't noticed any worms in what I bring up and I still feel like death. But I'll persist. The nosebleeds still come. But now I can shower and keep myself clean. They bring me strong antipsychotics. They bring me tranquilizers. I thank the staff and then I hide them. I've been feeling safe here and the past few weeks have practically breezed by. The horrors I lived through could almost have been a dream. And each night, moths gather at my window. They flock to the pain as if adhering to a massive bulb. Dozens of creatures crawling over one another, flexing their wings. And in the movement of those wings, from their shifting formations, is her face. And I try not to look. Thanks for listening to today's episode please consider becoming a member of my Patreon page where you can have access to over 200 episodes with no ads, no promo, no bullshit. Just scary stories which you can download or listen to through an exclusive podcast feed. You'll have access to the entire Scarecast catalog, my bedtime story collection, and over 40 episodes never before released on the podcast. You can join by visiting patreon.com slash the scarecast. All information will be posted in the description of this episode. Also, follow my Instagram at the scarecast for podcast updates. If you can also rate and review this podcast on your respective podcast player, that will help a lot. As always, be safe out there. And until next time.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.